Ladies and gentlemen, live at the Rock Strong Marriage Conference in Castle Rock, Colorado, it's Rebel Parenting with Ryan and Laura Dobson. Yes, that's actually our music. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rebel Parenting. I'm your host, Ryan Dobson, with my wife, Laura. Hi, everybody. Ooh, you got the mic working. Fantastic. It's good stuff. <laughs> you know, we talked yesterday. We're at the Rock Strong Marriages Conference put on by Envision Counseling Clinic. I'm getting all that right. It's because I wrote it down. We talked yesterday about having a hard time getting here. Anybody have a hard time getting home besides me? No? I hit two deer at the same time on the way home last night. Two. Two. Yeah, driving no home, joke. SUV next to me, going up a hill. They were going fast. I didn't feel like I was going fast enough, so I hit the gas. You know in that momentary when you hit the gas and your car starts to lurch forward? At that moment, she slams on her brakes. We lurch forward. Eight deer cross in front. Everybody in the car's asleep. I slam on the brakes. I went like this. Eh. Yeah, and Rudolph was not in front. No. For sure. Definitely no, no red so light scary. warning us. Um, and we're here. get home, check the front of the car. There's no marks. Like, I heard deer out of the corner of my eye going, ee, like this. I just see, like, flying and jumping and leaping. I don't have any idea what it looked like around us, but it just looked like just deer, you know, like one of those things. And I looked back. There's nothing on the ground. We went by this morning. Everything seems okay. (laughs) So glad we made it here this morning. Uh, If you are not familiar with Rebel Parenting, we do a podcast every single week. We do a live video three times a week. We are in the middle of our November challenge. No sugar November. We're doing a fitness challenge, cutting out all added sugar. And we're journaling about our spouses to improve our marriages. So every morning you write down one thing you like about your spouse and then three reasons why. And at some point during the day, we pray out loud, thanking the Lord for why we love our spouse and those reasons why. 21 straight days, you will absolutely get a better marriage because of that. So we love people to join in on those challenges. Today, if you go to rebelparenting.org or if you text the word rebel to the number 444-999, we're doing three giveaways. The first one is a Rebel Parenting Best of the Year broadcast package. We have 15 best broadcasts on marriage, parenting, and seasons of crisis what to do in those. Also, because we're going to interview Tim and Ann Evans today, we're doing their giveaways, which one of them is called 20 Takeaways from 40 Years of Marriage, and the other one, which is our most requested giveaway by far, is why you and your spouse need to schedule sex and how to have it more often. And after we started giving that away, I've never learned more about my friends and listeners' sex lives and their scheduling. I I didn't know I would find all that out. I didn't really want to know all of it, but I'm glad it's working. It's fantastic. Today, we're going to record with a live audience here at the Rock Solid Marriage Conference, sponsored by Envision Counseling Clinic. Because of that, we've invited our guests, Tim and Ann Evans, to come up because they are our personal counselors and mentors. Uh, If you've never been to a counselor, I can't tell you how our marriage and lives have been so radically transformed by having a third party. An impartial third party to go to when, you know what, we've thought about the same thing about eight million times and we're not going anywhere. I know what you're going to say. You know what I'm going to say. We started off with Tim and Ann and everything in our life has changed. I can't recommend an impartial third party enough. And that's why we wanted to come with Veronica and Steve. We haven't interviewed them yet. Yet. That's the key word is yet. Because we think it's so important. I am a huge fan of counseling and pastoral counseling, coffee cup counseling, and professional counseling as well. Tim and Ann, thanks for being here. Nope. Not yet. Good morning. Not a chance. Neither is on. We've got to get closer to you guys here. Here, you say hello on this. Good morning, everybody. We're excited to be here. Hello. Nope. Here, watch this. I'll just get really close. Hi, honey. (laughs) That's not going to be super awkward. For the record, we can neither confirm nor deny that we're your counselors. We don't know that we've ever seen you in our office. You look vaguely familiar, but... Do you know, here's the thing. I want you to hear hear that statement because it's a really important thing, Uh, especially pastors or leaders or really anybody. That's what Tim and Ann say about us forever. Every one of you know, I'm admitting, Laura's admitting, these are our counselors. If you ever ask them about us, that's what they will say in return. I've sent so many of my friends to Tim and Ann, and I can't ever talk to them about it because he looks at me and goes, I can't confirm or deny that we know anybody by that name. Every single time. That confidentiality is one of my greatest gifts 
It is one of the greatest gifts to me because I can say anything I want without fear of somebody tweeting it out or you know, putting me on blast somewhere, things like that. These, this couple has a high level of integrity and that's important in a counselor. How those mics working? Good, good. We're yeah, good go. thank yeah. you for being here, I appreciate it. But just in response to what you said, Ryan, I think we all need a place where we can go where we don't think that what we're saying is gonna be a prayer request someplace else. I think that everybody should have a place in their life where they can tell the whole story. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us have a lot of people that we tell part of our story to, but one place where you tell the whole story. There's something about telling it from beginning to end that the Holy Spirit starts to work and he highlights um, areas that you really need healing in. So just Mm -hmm. wanna encourage everybody. Do you have somebody that you've told your whole story to? Hey, before you continue, let's talk about who you are first. Yes. Who are Tim, we? Tim, you started your career not in counseling or pastoral ministry. You started. I grew up always wanting to be a fireman, so we grew up in the Chicago suburbs. Ann and I have pretty much, we grew, were born in Chicago, grew up in Elk Grove Village right next to O'Hare Field, the big airport there. Our we went DIA. to kindergarten together. Yeah, then she went to parochial school. I went to public school, but we grew up a few blocks apart from each other. Had a crush on each other in junior high. But believe it or not, I was so shy, and it was all about sports. I was raised in a family with an older sister and four brothers, and had a middle brother and four sisters, so a total different dynamic. She then, went on to become yeah. a nurse. I went on to become a nurse, and I was um, on the orthopedic floor working. Tim came to visit somebody. We connected, and I think within a year, we were married. We kind of reunited after kind of loving each other from a distance our whole lives. We say it was protection that we didn't date in high school, okay? That was a protection that <laughs> we reconnected after college and that. And then we were on, I was on the Schomburg Fire Department for over 20 years. and You were fire chief. Deputy fire chief. Deputy yeah. fire chief. And Look at them being uh, humble. And uh, <laughs> one chief, one deputy. But we, we grew up in the Catholic church, and then when we were 21, we got married, and we were invited to a church that was meeting in a movie theater. It was Willow Creek Community Church in Palatine, Illinois. Mm. And, and, you know, we had a friend who was bugging us to go, and I did the typical fireman thing. I'm like, I'm on duty this Sunday. Why don't you go just to get this Jesus freak off of our back? Because she's obviously not going to stop inviting us. So you went. So I went, and uh, I remember the first message that Tim and I went to together was called Meism, Weism, and Theism. I still remember the message. And I came home, and I said to Tim, I really think we need to go check this out. It's different than any church we've ever been to. So we did make a long story short. We got involved in a small group, um, and it was in that small group that we made a decision for Christ our first year of marriage. We, We often say most of our life changed. Being married over 40 years, we have four children three married children, five grandchildren, but most of our life changes occurred around a kitchen table. Mm-hmm. It's like in the context of community, we totally love and support the local church. We've been going our entire lives, but it's in the context of community where we've really made the most important decisions mm-hmm. in our lives in marriage and family, parenting, ministry, and so on. Yeah. Now, I'm going to talk about homework in just one second. Can you hand me your books? Yes. So, Tim and Ann have two books and... What would you call this? Workbook? It's a companion journal. Companion journal. Oh, this is the companion journal. I didn't bring the, that's the sexual agreement. I didn't bring the workbook. So, together is how we started with Tim and Ann. Together, that brought Laura and I different together. Naked, reclaiming sexual intimacy in marriage with an amazing workbook. Yes, a workbook to go along with the naked book. And then you have a sexual agreement. Right, we have a workbook for each of those. And a workbook for each of them. Some fireman friend called me and said, hey, I got your email that you and Annie wrote a book called Naked. I'm only by it if there's pictures. I said, there's no pictures, okay? He said, well, send me one free and I'll pass it around to Firehouse. So I sent him a freebie. No. So. But I have to go back and tell you a story because when we started in that small group, some older people came around us and I think they were about 60 and we thought they Bald, were ancient of days. Yeah, really old. Really uh, old. So they really mentored us and opened up the word and taught us what God had to say about marriage and um so when we wrote this book it's like we look back at our history and all the people that have poured into us and Mm -hmm. we're Mm -hmm. just a fireman and a nurse but we loved marriage and we always wanted a marriage that was different than anybody's around us tim and i wanted to be more than just married we wanted to be a team like a couple that's working together and i have to be honest i didn't see a lot of models for that in Mm -hmm. our life tim and i come from religious backgrounds and we saw a lot of couples that were committed to each other till death do them part. 
maybe hoping one would die before the other because it was getting kind of long. Painful. And quickly, yeah, maybe? Yeah. Painful. Yes, yeah. but I have to say, honestly, because we don't hear it that often, marriage has been the best years of my life. I really think my life started when I got married, and I don't say that mm-hmm. because our marriage is so easy or we're so anointed. I say that because... I think marriage, the context of intimacy, has taught me more about the Lord than any other relationship. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, I can leave. If I don't like you, I can leave. If I don't like the church, I can change churches. If I don't like the neighborhood, I can move homes. But I'm committed until death do us part. And when you make a commitment like that, you learn a whole lot about yourself. Mm-hmm. And we see, since there's so much kingdom advancing potential in marriage, which we believe is why it's what's under more attack than marriage yeah. in our culture throughout our world because mm-hmm. there's an enemy who understands the potential <clears throat> right. of that cord of three strands of Ryan and Laura mm-hmm. intertwined around each other as mm-hmm. you're both intertwined with God. That's a marriage powerhouse. That's right. And you think about culture. If you look at TV, are there any healthy marriages on TV portrayed on a regular basis? There aren't. It's all dysfunction. And this is the interesting thing about it. And we've seen it with children, and I'm seeing it with adults. And there's studies going on with this now, too. With children, when you're watching Disney kids' TV shows and other children's shows, and the kids are funny and sassy, and they talk back, and everybody laughs, and you hear that in your subconscious in the background all day long, and your kids hear that, and all of a sudden your kids start saying sassy things, and your brain says, That's just how kids talk. That's how we hear kids talk all the time. I guess this is how kids talk. And you watch sitcoms and the guys look at porn and drink beer and oogle women and cheat on their wives and they can't tie their shoes and the wives have to save them but the wives are neurotic and we think this is normal. The cultural zeitgeist says the best sex you ever have is either before you're married or on your honeymoon and then after that it steadily declines over time until it's a joke. It's a funny joke about how we never have sex and ha ha ha, what's wrong with that? That's what we thought an average marriage was. We thought that's how it went. And Tim and Ann turned that upside down, stood us on our heads and said, no, 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 marriage is one of the greatest things in the entire world. It gets better and better and better. I have great role models. My parents have just been married for 57 years. All they want to do is hang out with each other. Mm -hmm. After that long, it's like, what do you want to do today? Just do this. You know, my grandparents, this is the last one, and then we're going to talk about your homework, so get ready to answer questions. <coughs> Don't be nervous. Too nervous. My grandma and grandpa, my grandpa passed away at 91, my grandma at 94. When he was 90, he was diagnosed with cancer, went to the hospital, and was away for three days. He stayed three nights in the hospital, and I went over the day he got back, and I walked in their back door, and they've got this little oval table, and they weren't sitting on opposite sides, they were sitting catty corner on the table, here and here, holding hands, looking at each other. And I walked in, it was like this little Hallmark card. It was so cute. You know, my 90 and 91-year-old grandparents or whatever, they were apart. And and I said, what are you guys doing? And my grandma goes, oh, we're just sitting here looking at each other. I was like, what? And she goes, I just don't sleep good. My sweetie's head isn't on the pillow next to mine, so we're just looking at each other. And I thought they had already been married 50 years at that point. And three nights away, they just sat for hours at the table staring at each other. And I thought, if I die with a quarter of that, I will have lived the greatest life known to human beings. I mean, if that's how I pass away, and how do I get that? How do I find it? And one of those ways is the Tim and Ann. So last night, people listening, we gave you guys homework. And it was spend five minutes writing down ways that you feel you've resisted in your marriage. And then spend five ways where you feel like you uh, participate in your marriage, then you share with your spouse what you've learned about yourself. Does anybody have anything they learned about themselves they'd like to share? Is there one person in the... Be brave. Be brave. We could sing the song. What is that brave song? I don't want to sing that, definitely. No one? Anything? Really? I got naturally defensive with myself. Really? Okay, naturally defensive with yourself. Okay. Awesome. All right. I always give myself a higher score. And then I, I I'm, here's where I do it. I score keep. Well, I've done this, 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 and this. And that means I'm participating more than you. And so I'm trying to look at the, as long as I'm participating a little bit more than you, then I feel like I'm being okay. No one else? Anybody else do that? Anybody score keep? You know, anybody with, with newborns? Why? I, I got up four times last night and you only got up twice. And so tonight you get to get up six times and I'm going to get up known times. And... <laughs> Oh, oh, I see that's happened before. Good times. 
Anybody, anybody learn something they want to share? Crickets. Thank you. Yeah. So you're how, saying, how many I, wanna, I want people to, that are listening to the radio program to hear that. Okay. Sorry. So if you get your feelings hurt, you feel like sometimes you might withhold uh, either communication or physical intimacy because you can't get past the, I'm angry and my feelings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep going. How many of you identify with him yeah. around the room? Take a look. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not alone, man. That is a natural, normal experience going on in all of our marriages. Who gets their feelings hurt a lot? And I think sometimes it's because we don't know how to resolve it or we don't know how to talk through it. And so the best way to do it is to be passive and just withhold our affection Mm -hmm. and say, you can't have my heart. So there's a lot of nonverbal going on in couples, and that's why communication is so important, because we don't really learn that well in our families of origin. We all have our dysfunctional ways of communicating. For my family of origin, it was mind reading. Nobody had to talk. I know what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. And so I can just respond because, Mm -hmm. and Tim would say to me in our early years of marriage, what am I thinking now? And I'd tell him, he'd be like, wrong. So you're not right. You have to actually talk to me. I'd be like, darn. And I think being raised in my family of origin, uh, the four boys speaking for us as young boys, young men, growing into men, we had one feeling. How are you doing, Tim? I'm fine. You know, but how do you feel? I feel fine. How was your day at the firehouse? Fine. It's like, and then we got to counseling as a little sidebar. You know, again, a shout out for counselors. I always say, never see a counselor who doesn't see a counselor. Mm-hmm. And I still see counselors. And this woman helped me in my 20s unpack that I really was feeling feelings. I just had no ability or experience to say I feel. Mm-hmm. I could feel anger because that was okay in my family of origin, but sadness. You know how many millions of times I heard, Timmy, don't cry, I'll give you something to cry about. Mm-hmm. So shut those off. Then enter a career for 20 plus years where you'd see things that you can't believe. Even this past week, one of my first prayers always goes to those first responders mm-hmm. because they're mm-hmm. at home now going, what did we just do? You know, so, so you don't feel sadness or loss. You go home and kick the dog and cuss or a lot of guys end up in the tavern or on the wrong porn site or whatever trying to deal with these feelings. So it's, it's important that going back to you guys working through the problems that, you know, the questions that Lauren Ryan suggested, how do I feel? And there's always more than one feel, feeling mm-hmm. in play. And I would also give a tip that when you bury a feeling, mm-hmm. you bury it alive. It's in there. Mm-hmm. And it resurrects either aggressively or passively or actively. Totally. Well, what I would suggest is the things that I know that I keep resisting with this man, they keep persisting. They're just not going away. And, and I love that you just, I know for me in my process is just noticing it is the first step. Because mm-hmm. lots of times I don't even notice. <laughs> I'm like a train going on the track and I don't even know some of the pitfalls or some of the things I'm doing until I get aware and I see the feedback and then I can work through it mm-hmm. and start going, oh, how do I feel about that? Or, yeah, you know, and inviting community into it. Like if you're going around the mountain, you know, 15 times, 20 times, instead of getting to that hopeless place where I've been wanting this for years and it's still not coming to pass, maybe I should bring a third party into the discussion and see objectively what they think. Mm-hmm. I think uh, even when you ask everybody a question, have you done your homework? There is a lot of shame around marriage. We're afraid to raise our hand and say because we feel like there's something wrong with us. And surely if I tell you, you know, what's going on with me, nobody else in the room is like this. And there's something really healing about finding out we're so normal. Hang on a second. I forgot to do this. If you're married, you have marriage problems. I don't know if you know this. Everybody in here that's married, you've got marriage troubles because we're selfish individuals. We're narcissists. We self-flatter. We keep score. We do that. I started saying this at places. I was doing a a fundraising banquet, not a marriage thing, and I was talking about Rebel Parenting. I said, hey, who's married here? Everybody raised their hand. I go, guess what? You all have something in common, and this time it's not just Jesus. And they were like, hee, hee, hee. I said, it's because you all have marriage troubles, and it went dead silent. And it was like, ooh. It was just crazy. And I was like, oh, why, why, why is that a, a shock to anybody? I mean, 
we're just humans. That's the crazy thing. And that's what we want. We want counseling. We want conferences to be just like oil changes. If you get the oil change in your car, you gotta work on your marriage. It's preventative maintenance. Don't wait. Doug Fields is a great uh, marriage counselor. Jim Burns did our wedding. He and Doug worked together. I asked Doug, what's the hardest part about your job? And he said, it's easy. By the time most people come to us, it's too late. I was like, that's too bad. We can't do that. We can't let our pride get in the way of that. Awesome. Anybody else want to share about the homework? Anybody learn something they want to share? Yeah, good for you. Nine-month-old baby doing the homework this morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to burden him. Mm. Totally. Oh my goodness. Thank, uh, thank you so much for sharing. That's amazing. Listen, think about that. How often? Anybody else protect your spouse from your stresses? Anybody else hold all the things in? And men are so good at this, right? I'm so good. Just going to lock it all down inside. Just going to, mm, just doing a, mm, no ulcer, mm, you know? <laughs> no heart attack. No heart attack. Please. Yeah. I protect Laura. I get stressed about our finances and I don't say anything about it. And then she spends something and I go, mm, and she goes, what's that? She senses all this stuff going on. What's wrong? Nothing, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and whatever the E is supposed to be. Emotional. Emotional thing. Yeah, you exactly. Yeah. You know, I think too, uh, Ryan, when there's so many things going on in our lives and we all have seasons where mm-hmm. we're having babies or job stresses or family uh, problems, I think, can't exactly remember when it was, but there was a time that Tim and I looked at each other and said, I can't be your everything. I can't be your wife Mm -hmm. and your lover and your counselor and your mother and your friend. And I think um, that's when we gave ourselves permission. Maybe some of these things we don't need to share with each other. Of course, we share so many things with each other, but I don't need to look to you to help me resolve everything. Mm -hmm. It's healthy to live in community. Mm -hmm. You know, we're reflected in God's image. He is community, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so our lives are supposed to reflect community and back again to who do I have in my life to help me process? Because like you said last night, if you're an external processor, maybe your husband isn't or maybe your wife isn't. And it's really healthy for you to go and say, could I just, could you just be a sounding board? I just need to yeah. say this out loud and mm-hmm. could mm-hmm. you hear me? And just give each other permission. You know, I'm way more like you, Veronica. You know, I <clears throat> think about something right after I say it and then I can bring it back in and reorganize it and rephrase it. And often Anne will say to me, Tim, hold on. I, I think I worry, know where you might be going because she's still got a little of that remnant of mind reading going so on. Mind <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she'll say, maybe that's something you should talk to your counselor about her spiritual director and that's a that's an act of intimacy it's an encouragement for go to go process something that maybe I shouldn't be processing with mm-hmm. Anne. and it's a healthy boundary because did you ever try to um, have your spouse be everything and you tried to be everything for them and then they kick you mm-hmm. when you get too close or say something that they can't hear and it's like so okay I I want to respect your boundaries and yeah. I want to give you all the space to get that resolved but it can't be here and that's hard for me to say because I want to be all those things for you. Yeah. But I know what my boundaries are so and the, I can't. So the next step is we encourage couples, encourage each other and ourselves to take ownership and responsibility for our next step. Again, first growing in intimacy with God and then bringing that home to our one flesh death till us part mm-hmm. covenant marriage relationship. And that's hard because you bump into that shame thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't want to talk to anybody else because I think there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And it's like... 
What a huge step when couples start to separate what they do on healthy behaviors from who they are. Yeah. Identity. Identity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're not a bad person. You may have done a bad thing. That was a big one that Tim and Ann helped me with and talked to me about. You know what? Let's jump into this. Uh, here's what I didn't know. I didn't know most people don't have a great sex life. I didn't know that. Uh, I think most of us bought into the cultural zeitgeist that when you get married, it's great. And as you go on, it just kind of peters out over time. And that's how it went. And I didn't know this. Uh, we found out about it in an odd way that I don't want to say right now. It was embarrassing. And I just assumed everybody was doing it. And come to find out they're not. Tim and Ann have a handout. They've, and we've given it out, my gracious, so many times. It's why you and your spouse should schedule sex and how to have it more often. And we just found that people are withholding sex from their partners, that this intimacy, this tool, this great gift, gift, we're being taught, hey, you need new curtains? Withhold. You know, feelings hurt? Withhold, you get your way. And it's damaging to marriages and it's hurting your marriage. One of the greatest things you can do is do it as often as you can, not in the context of, of you know, if, if there's sexual problems, we wanna deal with those. Mm -hmm. Uh, if there is not, we come to Tim and Ann about this. So why did you write that? Why, as you've counseled for decades and decades, why is this one of the big ones that you're like, listen, above all else, you gotta keep, keep in the bedroom. You gotta keep doing that. Right, and I think first we uh, you know, invite the Holy Spirit to help the husband, wife, and couple kind of build a, a solid theology for sexuality. Mm -hmm. You guys, whenever we lead a you know, naked gathering, we start out by saying, God is pro-sex. I'm sorry, you lead a, a naked gathering. Yeah, naked gathering. That'll be next weekend, yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> it's a, it's see, a we're used to saying that. Colorado Springs, yeah. Man Manitou. No, <laughs> so actually, it's naked, reclaiming sexual intimacy in marriage, the title of our book. Yeah. Bring your own Bible. BYOB, naked gathering. Anyway, we start out by saying, God is pro-sex. Yeah. And we invite everyone who's attending, who's investing in this day or weekend to say, God is pro-sex. So y'all... God is pro-sex. Gosh. Whoa. Are that you sure? a lot more enthusiasm. Now, if the Broncos won the Super Bowl, would you guys have had, hey, the Broncos won the Super Bowl. Let's say that again with a little verbosity, because it's true. God is Friends, he really is. He designed human beings with the amazing ability to experience such pleasure and joy. You know, I often say, what is more enjoyable than experiencing an orgasm? Now, as a fireman, I might still be in pursuit of the perfect double cheeseburger, but it really doesn't compare to experiencing an orgasm, to experience intimacy, to, to celebrate that to become one. And God's description of the first married couple before sin was what? They were naked without shame. Mm -hmm. That's our desire is to truly be naked. And I don't mean just physically. Any you know, homo sapien can rip off their clothes and have sexual intercourse, but to be naked without shame. Emotionally naked and yep. to be able to share your stories and to be able to confess to one another and to know the whole story. But backing up just a little bit, we didn't write it because we want people just to have more sex for the purpose of having sex. We wanted people to not uh, dismiss sex and put it aside until their problems get fixed because it's back again to, I'm gonna withhold myself from you mm -hmm. until you understand me, listen to me, get more spiritual, pray more, be a better leader, discipline the kids, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. But we don't think about that in any other area of our life. Do you say, we're disconnected so we're not having dinner tonight and we're not exercising and we're not going to fill in the blank? No, mm -hmm. we're like, we're, we can barely talk to each other and I'm still eating dinner. And it's like, but why don't we say, we're really in a bad place and we're still going to choose to have sex because I think when we're face to face, we're reminded again by the Lord uh, where, where the disconnect is, why it's so hard for me, why this isn't the greatest thing. And then we need to talk about it with somebody. There are people that put their sex so far on the back burner mm -hmm. that it goes weeks, months, not because they don't want to have sex, because it's so painful when mm -hmm. they have it emotionally mm -hmm. that they don't want to be reminded of that. So they stop having sex. So yeah. if we had the opportunity to share with a couple like that, we would start with the theology of sexuality. That's what we're going to talk about in our breakout this afternoon at 1. What are God's purposes for mm -hmm. sexual intimacy? We'd suggest it's for celebration, procreation, protection, pleasure, and comfort. And we'll unpack that briefly this afternoon. It's all in the book. But then after that, we want to explore 
you know, what about sexual histories, sexual imprinting, soul ties, these things that you brought into your marriage? Mm -hmm. You know, we don't do a lot of premarital couples these days, but we do. We have them each bring in a, a box of rocks and have them write on the rocks what, you know, how did their family communicate? How did their family forgive? How did their family handle finances? And then lay them out on the table and so say, which one of the good ones we want to put in our mm -hmm. Tim plus and marital box? And which ones do we need to work on? And sexual intimacy is always one, always is a strong universal quantifier, always, yeah. never, but it's always a problem for couples. Um, so I'll just tell, for me, I, I can do this. Um, Laura and I, when we were first married, we got pregnant with Lincoln just like that. In fact, it was, we were going to wait a year after we got married to start trying to have kids. And a couple months in, Laura's like, we should have babies. And I was like, totally, in about eight more months. And she's like, we should have them now. You know, it was one of those, it was, we went and met with our doctor. And he told, he said, well, Laura's been on birth control. So that takes about six or seven months to get out of your system. And then you can start trying to get pregnant. And then he talked for an hour about all the things you can do if it's hard to get pregnant. And so my brain went six or seven months. We've been married for this. That's about a year. Okay. Seven days later, Laura was pregnant. Seven days later. So... Getting pregnant, no problem at all. We had Lincoln. It was a little bit of a complication. Pregnancy, not terrible. Uh, afterwards, there were some complications. Following that, we had a ton of trouble. We had four miscarriages back to back to back to back, uh, which um, it's just so terrible. My gosh, it's so terrible. And over time, subconsciously, I started associating getting close to Laura with the possibility of getting pregnant, which might lead to a miscarriage, and forget that. And I started pulling away further, not unconsciously. I don't know why I'm even doing this, but I'm pulling further and further and further away because if she does this, what if we, what if we lose another baby? What if, what if we have to go through that again? And it took some, it just took a, a couple of big things to realize what had taken place. I couldn't even get close to Laura. When we've had Lucy, I would sit in Lucy's room at night and watch her sleep just waiting for the shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. I had so many hangups over it. And it took coming to a third party and getting to unpack. I'm so afraid. Do you have any idea? I'm terrified. What if she gets pregnant again and we go through that? I can't do that. I can't do it. We've, you know, when it was, when we had had a two of them and then we got pregnant for a third time, everybody goes, what? Third time's a charm. Yeah, that's BS. That doesn't, that's, that's just a lie. People just say third time's a charm. That doesn't mean anything. There's no scientific thing behind that, but you believe it. Well, of course it's going to work. It's our third time, right? No, no, it didn't work. And then a fourth didn't work. It makes sense why I was pulling away. I just didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine what our life would be like six years later, you know, if I'm still like, <laughs> no, no. It would be such a, a void in our life. And I realized how far we'd grown. It was about a month ago. I was so stressed about something that was going on in our work and things like that. And Laura goes, hey, you want to come home and do it so you feel better? And I went, what? <laughs> And she goes, you should come home. We should do it. You'll feel better. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Honestly, though, the way home, I just, I told the Lord, I can't believe it. Like, what? She's 100% right. I'm so crazy in my head, but I know the second that we're done, I'll be like, what? That mattered? Oh, I guess it mattered. It doesn't matter now. And you, I mean, I, I felt better and it just was such a gift. And that's why we talk about it. That's why I talk about my sex life. It's so weird. It's so awkward to do that. But I want to because I want you to have that. I want you to have that intimacy. I want you to know you're on the same page. I want you to know that you're, the, you're a team, that above all else, it's the two of you. Mm -hmm. But Ryan, that's a really good example because you could have gone back to that season and said, we're really struggling with sex. And you weren't really struggling with sex. You nope. were struggling right. with all the emotions Fear. around it. So yeah. again, Great that got put on the back burner because you didn't know what that was or how to resolve it or even talk about it, which is why it's so good to have community. There's very few couples that really struggle with some physical problem sexually. There, there are... There are people in that category, and they need to see a doctor. There's some things that need, but most people, it's emotional things mm -hmm. that disconnect them from sex. Most people. Yeah. Hmm. Because again, as it says in Thessalonians, we're spirit, soul, and body. Mm -hmm. And our culture and the season of history we live in, it's all about the body. You know, it's all about the orgasm. Yet sexual intimacy in marriage is so much more. Yeah. It's two spirits, two souls, and two bodies mm -hmm. 
connecting hmm. and advancing in intimacy, again, first with God and then with one another. And that's scary. And who teaches you how to do that? Is that something you learn growing up? So the first thing, again, that gets backburnered is sexual intimacy. So what if we encouraged you to have sex more often mm-hmm. and you had a face whatever it is, is avoiding your life more often, you might be more encouraged to get after it and say, I don't think there's anything wrong with us. I think we're normal. But I think that God's inviting us to a whole nother level of intimacy. Yeah. And I want to trust him, take a leap and say yes. And so we offer a sexual agreement. It's in the book or the separate uh, companion journal you can get. But it's like a couple goes through and says, how often do we want to have sex? Mm-hmm. You know, let's define what sex includes. Let's talk about boundaries. Let's talk about quickies. Let's talk about oral sex. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about what we don't like to do so that when we're having sex, you don't initiate that, and then we end up in an argument. And it's like, really, do I have to talk about this now? We talked about it like 19 times, and I said, I'm not comfortable with this. And so your spouse says, okay, it's okay. I love it when there's like a little bit of laughter because yeah. it's people like, oh, no, other people found that too. Oh, goodness. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Yeah. I better not laugh out loud. So my notes be too. Well, Tim and I always say with the sexual agreement, when you do boundaries and say, this isn't okay with me, I'm not comfortable with it, that's fine if you're not comfortable, but no isn't the final answer. Mm -hmm. No means I'm not comfortable with it, but I'll pray about it. If I need to bring in a third party and discuss something that's a block for me, or if there's something emotional attached to it, but I want to let you know it's no for now, but I'll take ownership and responsibility and, and whatever it is we decide to do. I'm going to talk to my counselor. I'm going to pursue because I want to be connected and I don't want there to be any no's. So no isn't the final answer. It's just no for now. Mm -hmm. We just got an email from a couple in the Midwest where we pastored for five years and (laughs) they said we read naked. We went through the companion journal and oh my gosh, this is a real dynamic, peak performing, successful couple. Both work, you know, very successful in their careers. Four kids, one just got married. And they said, we took a chapter every week and went through it. And just the basics of saying, you know, and how often do you want to have sex? Mm-hmm. You know, we never really talked about that. We've been married almost 20 years. And we used to have it sometimes it would be with our schedules, weeks or months. Now we've agreed to twice a week. And our sex life has absolutely turbo boosted our intimacy. And not just in sexual intimacy, our emotional intimacy. Mm-hmm. We pray before we have sex. We include the spiritual component. And it was so encouraging saying, yeah, there is and are ways to advance in intimacy, especially sexual intimacy, but you need to take ownership and responsibility to inquire the Lord, invite him in your process, and see what next steps he's inviting you to take. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Questions? Anybody? Anybody want to talk about sex? Is, is it gonna, yes? I'll, I'll, I'll run around with the mic. I don't mind. It'll be fun. Come on. No one's got any questions? Yeah. Fantastic. I hope I don't break this. Why not? Go. Thank you so much. Participation equals value, people. <laughs> so I've got two kids, very young, three and four, and they're, I'm their playground. They climb all over me, and so by the end of the night, once they're in bed, and I'm with my husband, last thing I want to do is be touched. Mm-hmm. Last thing I want to do is Someone else get all touch. cuddly, and how do you get over that? Even Let's say it's a scheduled night, but I'm like, ugh. I'm just, I don't want to be touched. Mm-hmm. I've been touched by toddlers all day long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you get past that? Yeah, th- everybody heard that question. It's like, yeah, it's very common. It's like you're sh- certainly not alone. If you, if you rolled with Ann and I a little bit, most people would say I'm more of a direct style counselor and Ann's more of a pure counselor. I would say more anointed by far. And, but one thing I would say more directly to you would be you're not your feelings. <laughs> If I live my life by my feelings, you guys, I wouldn't be standing here today. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have retired from the fire department or would, would have been blessed by promotions because it took a lot of things to, to reach those levels that I didn't feel yeah, like yeah, doing. Yeah, you know, sometimes I don't feel like going to the office. Usually every day I'm writing by 6 a.m. I run point on our next book. By the way, it's going to be called Soulgasm, Reclaiming Emotional Intimacy in Marriage. So stay tuned for that one. So, you know, I would, you know the truth is, I'm not my feelings. Mm-hmm. Now, I still have feelings, so how do I deal with them? So then you partner with your husband and say, let's pray. What could we agree on? You know, what if TGIF, thank God it's Friday, was a day that we agreed to have sexual intimacy, but you know what? I need a day away from, an afternoon away from the kids. Mm-hmm. I need some alone time. I need some time to go to, for a walk or grab a cup of coffee or head to the mountains. How can we 
address that so my feelings don't check me out or take mm -hmm. me out of our commitment to being sexually active and providing you know sexual intimacy to one another and I think individuals and couples that do that they tend to the joy level amps up pretty quickly because they start getting the blessings and the benefits of as first Corinthians 7 say fulfilling a sexual duty to a spouse not in a punitive way in a life-giving way so Tim's a fireman and he lives with you can tell he's a very disciplined person so for him discipline and I've learned a lot by being married to Tim about being consistent and being disciplined so I totally agree with that but I can think back to when I had kids mm. hanging on me, everybody touching me, and feeling like I had to have some hard conversations with Tim because I feel like our sex life is another somebody tugging on me, wanting something from me, when I think our sex life could be more mm -hmm. because if it's the way that God designed it, I should be experiencing some level of pleasure that I'm just not. Mm -hmm. And so I really... You know, we could talk so much about this, but I really challenge every woman and man, are you all experiencing orgasms? Is sex becoming like a duty, and there's nothing wrong with discipline, but has it turned into a duty where you've put aside your pleasure, you've stopped um, thinking that it could, it's okay for you to have pleasure, for you to ask for what you need? There's so many moms in the audience that if I said, what do you need sexually? And I asked you to share that with your husband, you'd be like, I have no idea what, nobody ever, what do I need? I don't know. And um, talking about my family of origin, I don't even think I could talk to you about it mm -hmm. because there's shame around having needs and there's shame around it being about me. So you can see a small question, like there's toddlers around me, could be surrounded by a lot of issues. And so um, that's an opportunity for us to talk about it because I think that um, at the time when we had those deeper conversations, you would say back to me, well, you don't ask for anything, you don't say anything, and I'm like, right, and that's on me. So I'm a little bit childlike in that department, and I just want to run and hide, and I want you to mind read what I need, and I don't really want to talk about it, that's, no. Even Tim will say something sexual, sexual to me now, and I'll be like, you know me, I don't like to talk about it. Just, he's like, I like to talk about it. I'm like, well, keep talking, but I really don't want to engage with it. Well, we get to bed, and I'm working 80 hours a week as a fireman and a side job, and Ann's nerd as a nurse plus our four kids and we get to bed and I'd be like I'm on duty tomorrow and I, I want to go in early any chance we could you know get a little frisky and yeah, I'm like can I talk to you about something I'm like well how long is this going to take the talk part like, not long but I just want to emotionally connect first okay talk away I think sometimes I also had this thought That's in my exactly head that we have to always goes. emotionally connect before we both just enjoy sex. And Tim's like, could we just have sex and we could talk later? And that was like a, a, a wrong thinking that I had, that everything had to be fine dining. We had to have a three-course mm -hmm. meal before mm -hmm. we could enjoy sex. And it's mm -hmm. like, life just isn't like that. There is something therapeutic to an orgasm that releases so much tension and so many toxins. Sometimes you just have to have sex to position you to have a better emotional conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I'm not um, for a moment um, telling people to shortcut the emotional, or I'm not minimizing it and saying, mm -hmm. just schedule sex and have yeah. it more frequently. I'm saying it could position you for mm -hmm. a better emotional conversation. And think about questions. We're going to the next one. The other thing, husbands too, when we were first married, Laura and I, I would do the back rub thing, you know, like the 30 second back rub, let's get to business kind of deal. 30 you seconds. Can, you can grow up. You can get better at that. You know, it's, you can learn to meet those different needs. Laura's like, I get it. I know where, I know what the end game is, but let's, you know, let's not just go start, finish. Yay. Woo. You know, I win. <laughs> I like the marathon. Let's get into a little more. Come on. More questions. And Thank you so much. Just, that was fantastic. While someone else is getting ready to ask questions, to circle back a little about feelings, I hope, you know, that wasn't received in any sense of harshness because yeah. men sometimes you might not feel like you know if a wife's got little kids and you're in that season of life why don't you do the dishes or plan the meals or cook for that week or let her go and have a cup of coffee while you're getting the kids bathed and in bed and prayed and all that stuff it's like you might not feel like doing that mm -hmm. and sometimes it's reverse sometimes it's you know the man who's like you know I'm trashed and the woman's like you know well you never feel like having sex it's like more women are getting more confident in their true identity where they're even bringing up stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So none of us are our feelings. You know, feelings to, are ra random. But what are we committed to in covenant as husband and wife? 
whether it's sexual intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, go ahead. So we've been married 16 years and we've struggled, I have chronic illnesses and it affects our sexual life. Um, what do you guys, have you ever dealt with couples that have a chronic illness and their body hurts, they're always tired? Absolutely, those are real issues and that's, I'm so sorry. I, sometimes when even you're asking the question, nobody really understands unless they're inside your body. And so again, for me, I just go to a deeper level. Um, there are things that people have chronic pain or um, there could be a, numerous things wrong and yet there's things in our life that we continue to do. We continue to love and serve our kids. We continue to make a home. Our husbands continue to go to work. There's a discipline side to our life that we push through, and I don't know why this is about sexuality, but it's in a whole separate category. In that category, we put it on pause, dismiss it. For whatever um, strength or um, courage we have to push through in the other areas, like. I'm really not feeling good today. I've got chronic pain. I've got migraine headaches. I've got food allergies. But I'm still waking up, feeding the kids, doing what I need to do at a limited level. And I'm pushing through there. I'm pushing through with relationships. I'm pushing through at church. And it's hard every minute of mm -hmm. the day. But I push through. But with sex, no. I totally take it off the back burner. So I'm not dismissing that that's just as difficult. But I do want to love my kids, I want to love my husband, I want my husband to love me, and so let's talk through some ways that we can please one another and pleasure one another, and it might not be sex, but is there some way that we can, can we be connecting, instead of taking everything off the back burner and being like, yeah, we just don't do that. Um, so I just, I want to be gentle to encourage you in every area. Um, Having crazy sex like every single night isn't the goal. It's connecting emotionally. It's giving each other room and space because when there are pockets in our life that I think Tim really gets me and I really get him, do you know what my response is? Love responds to love. I want to out-love him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that might not be expressed sexually, but it's communicated to him. Mm -hmm. And so what I would ask you personally is to ask yourself, despite what our sex life looks like, how frequent it is, do you think we're do you think you're doing a good job communicating well that I love you I'm for you whatever I can do whatever you can do let's find a way to make this work even if there's limitations on it mm -hmm. does that is that does that help a little bit because yeah. those are big questions and I don't want to minimize how many different uh, parts there are to it but I would love to talk with you more about details through that mm. We've got time for one more. You know what? That's interesting that you brought that up. I just got an email. We had a couple. Uh, they won um, naked in the companion journal. And uh, the wife wrote me and said that her husband was diagnosed with MS last year. It's completely changed their lives. And she said, please tell all your listeners, do it as often as you can. You don't know when it's going to go away. And I just thought, that's so interesting. I didn't know. You know, you just don't think about those types of things. Do we have time for one more short one? Yes. So um, I hear all the time, have more sex, right? Or whatever. And I've always thought we've had plenty. But um, what is some average number that people can try and like strive for? That you can share with my husband. What, what is <laughs> the average? Everyone wants a number. <laughs> Everyone wants a number, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We, do, we totally don't want to skirt this topic, but I hate giving numbers because I think we're all so different. But I will say this, if you're not connecting a few times a month, and that would be a lack of connection, like there is something called sexual anorexia that we just put it aside and couples should be connecting. I mean, of course there's different age groups, there's different seasons, mm -hmm. but I mean generally, would you want to give a number, hon? Well, no, but I can read a little quote from our book, if that's okay. Yep. Short, he's saying short. Sorry. Uh, a survey says here the definition of a non-sexual marriage is expanded to include couples where sexual intimacy occurs less than 10 times annually. In that, in that case, 20% of the couples in the National Health, Health and Social Life Survey would be in that category. 
According to Newswork, Newsweek, 15 to 20% of couples live in a sexless relationship. Another study, up to 10% of married couples under age 50 did not have sex in the previous year. So I think it's interesting, as much as I've read my Bible and I love my Bible, I've never found that passage that a healthy marriage has sex this amount of times. Mm -hmm. And I think God strategically left that out because it invites us to process. And most couples are not on the same page. They have different sexual desires. So again, it goes back to communication and intimacy. And let's focus on soulgasm for a month and then see how the orgasms work out the next month. Well, what we were taught real quick was choose between us. So if he wants six and I want three. Fifteen. Isn't that how it was? Twenty-five. Sorry. But go with the one that was higher, right? right? That's and I think, you know, you're, you're laughing. Like By the way, part of the goal is crazy sex. I'm just, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, we Not laugh really. about that in our heads. We think, I want 25, she wants two. It's like, it would be interesting for you guys to go on a date and say, honestly, mm-hmm. what would be the number per week? I think you guys are closer than you think, but it's a power play. Yeah. Like, I don't want to give myself to you that often because, you know what, frankly, you're not doing too good in about four, four categories that we're failing to talk about, but you want unlimited sex from me. Sorry, buddy, the story's closed. Not happening. And so, again, it's like, let's look at the way... Uh, yeah, we had a couple that was celebrating their 30th anniversary, and the woman said, I tell you what, for your anniversary, I'm going to give you unlimited sex as often as you want it. He, like, fell off his lazy boy. He just couldn't believe it. And so, you know, first night, sex. Second night, sex. Third night, sex. Fourth night, sex. Around the seventh night, uh, she comes down, and she's got a new nightgown on or something, and she's like, are you ready, babe? And he's like, do you mind if we just order pizza and get a movie? <laughs> It's Can like we actually they, just have Netflix yeah, and chill? It's like sometimes I think that the uh, oh here's another just short ditty. Yeah. Let's say you have a spouse that wants sex every day. Let's say and you don't want sex every day. What about quickies? Could you say, you know what, do you mind if I don't engage? I don't feel like I want to have an orgasm every day, but I'm more than happy to have sex with you or we can agree on these couple things. We've met couples where the husband or wife won't have sex unless both agree to an orgasm. It's like, so the spouse said to me, I feel like I have to fake it because I don't want to have the conversation one more time, but I'm not going there as often as they want. And so again, that's not good if you're lying to each other. So what can you do to please each other? And what emotional conversation could be around that where you could both walk away satisfied? Awesome. We are out of time for today. Thanks for listening, Rebels. Can we give a hand to Tim and Ann Evans? Thank you. Once again, to get the giveaways, go to rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the newsletter. You'll get our 15 best of the best broadcasts of the year. Also, 20 takeaways from 40 years in marriage and why you and your spouse should schedule sex and how to have it more often. Go to rebelparenting.org or text the word REBEL to 444-999. Thanks so much for listening. We love you. God bless. We'll see you next week.